It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Jonathan Casillas. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes and multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So later today, 8 p.m. Eastern, the NFL schedule will be formally released. We know the Giants, based on yesterday's conversation, will be playing the Philadelphia Eagles on Christmas. They'll be heading to Philadelphia. Other than that, anything else that you may be seeing out there is unofficial in terms of leaks, but nothing that the league nor the Giants have confirmed. It'll all be revealed at 8 p.m. Eastern. And Jonathan, I'm very curious your perspective because I think you could bring a mindset different than the rest of us who have been on this program. What players look for when this schedule is released? Not to say that you're getting ultra excited about who you're playing in week 17, but I'm sure there are certain different dates, the bye week, divisional foes, when maybe you have a quick turnaround that you focus on well before the schedule is ultimately released. Well, I think number one, you got to see that opening week game. You know, when I was here in New York, we had to go to Dallas three years in a row, <laughs> which I loved. I mean, we, we didn't fare too well, but we did get them one time down there. Popular choice. But I mean, it's it's a great, you know, arena to play in. You know, the Dallas Cowboys is a story franchise, just like the New York Giants. And it was always Sunday night football. And I feel like all eyes are on, you know, the, the game. So sure. I, I always loved looking forward to that game my three years here in New York. Uh, and then you look at like the other things that you said. You got to look for that Thursday game because that's a huge one where you got to be mentally, physically prepared for that game because you don't have another game on your schedule like that unless, of course, Thanksgiving or something like that on a Thursday. And a lot of people look for teams that or games that they play in, like let's say college, like I played at Wisconsin. So Meaning we go to a Green Bay, type of you know, thing. <clears throat> or yeah. you go to your hometown and play. Sure. Luckily, I was here in my hometown in New York when I my last three <laughs> so every years of my applied, career, yes. right? You know, um, and then you, you you look for stuff like that, and maybe if you you have a significant other or something in, in one of those states or their family or something like that, or where you're originally like stuff like that, sure. people look yeah. into. But honestly, I didn't really pay attention to the schedule like in detail like I'm paying attention more now because I'm covering it but like, it'll be sometimes like I didn't know who we were playing in two weeks like you know my dad that called me like, hey man I need tickets to the Philadelphia Eagles and I'm like uh when is that you know he's like it's in two weeks I'm like <laughs> so oh, all right on the is it home or away like you know like it, it's like once you get that first game you're locked in you know you're locked in and honestly nothing else truly matters once you know who you're going to play the first week, because that's that's who you're focusing on, that's who the game plan is built around to get that first game out there, right? That's what you're practicing for, all through training camp. You're practicing against whoever Dallas Cowboys, Eagles, whoever that the Giants are going to play in the opening week, you know. And then, like I said, you pay attention to all the little funny games. If there's any Monday night games, Sunday night primetime games, that's the stuff that I, I really kind of look uh, look forward to. But to me, it really didn't matter. You know, I really didn't. I didn't, really didn't like the international games, too. That'll be, you know, something that pops out like, oh, okay, we're going to London this year. So you could prepare accordingly. Right. Yeah. You know, so, but 
honestly, it did never really matter to me. You know, I was week to week type of guy. You know, I definitely need to know that Thursday game because you know then it's like a, a mini buy after that too. On the back so, end, yeah, yeah. So you you could plan accordingly to buy week and stuff like that. So you could plan accordingly stuff. It's simple stuff like that. Squeeze in a trip to Florida or something like maybe that. not, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just insinuating anything. I won't take all the skeletons <laughs> and throw them out of the closet. Not, here, Jonathan. I'm not. I a, promise. Don't I do that. To me. Yes, no, 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 not at all. We'll throw you under the bus. In all seriousness, I'm also curious because I don't know if this happened when you were in New England, but Belichick, I know, he likes to, if there's two games on the West Coast, he'll keep his team out there. The Giants, interestingly, they have San Francisco, Arizona, Las Vegas. It's possible the Giants requested to stay out on the West Coast if two of those games fall out consecutively. From a player standpoint, do you like that? Do you like staying out there, or would you prefer to go back and forth and it really makes no difference to you? I think it depends where you're at in your life. You know, if you're a single man, you know, you'd be no, like, okay, here we go. I'm cool. I'll hang out there for, you know, yeah. basically 10, 11, 12 days, however long it's going to be sure. for the trip. Um, but, you know, if you're a family man, it's like, you know, I want to get back to my kids, my wife, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, but... I, I don't mind it, you know, I because I don't like those long five and a half hour flights, you know, to the West Coast. Those suck, you sure, know, from yeah. there and back, especially if it's like a prime time game and you're playing on the West Coast. You're not going to get back to four or five, maybe even later than that in the morning. And that is terrible. That throws your whole week off, you know. So if you could do it, that'll be great. If you have a bye week after, that'll be awesome, too. You know, those 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 long traveling far games that just throws your whole schedule off your body's out of whack when you get back you know so it, it's it's not good to do that consecutive weeks in a row but if you can stay out there and basically only do it one time i think that has its advantages because we've seen it's worked out effectively for a number of teams for example i'll give you one in recent history it was the opposing team for the giants they had played the San Francisco 49ers. This may have been, I think, two years ago. The Niners had back-to-back -back games against the Giants and the Jets. So Kyle Shanahan, they stayed on the East Coast. And they decided, why are we going to go back and forth? And they wound up playing consecutive games at MetLife Stadium. Remember, that was the whole yep. game with the turf issue. A yep. bunch of guys got hurt against the Jets. And they came back the following week. They played the Giants. And Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't able to play in that game. I know it wasn't a kind memory for Giants fans because it was a lopsided affair in favor of San Francisco. But we've seen where we talk about East Coast teams going West Coast. West Coast teams come East Coast. And they're saying to themselves, we're not going to go back and forth. Yeah. We're going to yeah. stay as is. Yeah, yeah, especially like, you know, those those teams like Seattle. Seattle understands what that travel is all about because they're yep. so far away from the, the the regular, I guess, the other 31 teams in, in the United States. So they've made that trick. But, you know, you 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 make a trip to from West Coast to East Coast, East Coast to West Coast, you know, you got to get acclimated to the time difference. That's, a, that's something, too. You got to get acclimated to the humidity and the climate as well, you know. So for me, it, it's almost like I think if you consider it like the bubble, right, like – because you're just with your guys. You're just with the team, and you're focused on, on ball, and you're not really worried about your day-to-day -day whirlwind that any adult has to deal with. You know, bills, all that stuff, taking care of the house, Leave that friends, family, mini businesses, whatever you got going on. You kind of just shut all that down, and you're just isolated with your teammates. So it has its advantages for sure. Well, and I would assume it also can help build chemistry, especially Absolutely. right if you're a team with a you're lot of new You're going to be doing players. stuff. You're going to be doing yeah. a lot more stuff with your teammates that week because that's the only guys you're going to be around. So it may actually be beneficial, especially actually, Jonathan, when you think about it, if that happens earlier in the season, 
and you're a team with maybe new coaches, new players, that could actually bode well for you later on because it's sort of an extension of training camp. And in the Giants' case, considering you don't go away for training yep. camp, right, where a lot of teams used to do that, this gives you sort of a mini trip in yep. the early stages of the season. It helped build that, that continuity and that chemistry for sure, you know, because like I said, it's similar to the bubble to where you go to, let's say, if Seattle does come down and plays the Jets and the Giants back and forth weeks, you're going to be in one spot with your team. You're going to be locked in with those guys. And, of course, like, you get to, you know, associate with other people, but, like, you're going to stick to your guys. You're going to go to dinner. Yep. You're going to do, you know, outside activities. You're going to try to probably go to the city with the guys. And then you start building that real out of the locker room, out of the off the away from the field chemistry, which I think is paramount when it, when it comes to terms of team success. Because if you returned home, if we go down the hypothetical road where you don't stay there, back-to-back games, to your point, on a daily schedule with respect to your teammates, and I'm sure you've seen this, guys who are married have families, you know, they're normally going home, right? They want to be with the family, whereas maybe guys who are single, they have a little bit more flexibility to go out with their teammates after practice or whatever it may be. But if everybody's in one location, everybody's not going anywhere. Yeah. So you have more of an opportunity to interact with players across the board on the roster who are seasoned veterans as well as maybe younger guys. Mm-hmm. And, and it it allows that, like you said, the season the seasoned veteran guys and the younger guys to interact a little bit more because the younger guys are like, all right, what do we do? You know, so they're going to ask the older guys, yo, what you doing today after practice? Or what you doing today after work? Oh, I'm going to the city. Or I'm going here. I'm, I'm going to check out this restaurant. Okay, cool. I'll tag along and bring in some of the, some of the younger guys too. And it, it definitely, you know, that's why I loved when we traveled, like when I was playing for the Giants, because we made it an emphasis to eat together when we traveled. And they give us three, four hours to kind of like, you know, on our own, figure out what we're going to do with food, and we will all try to get together. And as soon as we land, we, we you know, get together. Mostly defensive guys, we would get together and eat together, you know, and, sure. and sit down there, break bread together, fellowship together. And and I think that's an integral part, and it's a huge part in the team success and building that camaraderie and that, and that continuity and that chemistry that the teams that have success, especially in December and January, I think those teams check off that box early in the season, maybe during training camp. And I never thought about that that long distance, maybe two weeks stay on the East Coast from a West Coast team about happening early in the season because you can build continuity. You can build that chemistry with 10 days staying with the same type of guys and then interacting with different guys. All of a sudden, you got linebackers hanging out with old linemen. You know, we only of course, yeah. we only go, go against each other on the field. We don't really hang out that no much break, off the break, field. Yeah. You know, but then you get a chance to do that on those trips. And on the flip side, listen, if it comes later on in the season and you happen to be playing really good football, it could give you maybe a surge if you're fortunate enough to get into the playoffs because you're gelling at the perfect time when we always talk about, right, it's all about timing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You want to be playing your best football late in the season. So I can see the pros maybe in terms of both sides. Now, do you give the younger guys the bill under those circumstances? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You got to make sure, like, don't kill them. You know, like when I say don't kill them, don't don't hit them multiple times, right? You hit them one time and then it's cool. But that usually happens during training camp, you know, so they kind of get it out the way. But I remember, let me take it back to my New Orleans days, uh, Malcolm Jenkins, he was the first-round draft pick. So – Sure. They got him in training camp, which is a huge difference than getting somebody during the season because of the numbers. Because how many DBs are he carrying on the team oh, in training right, camp? Oh, that's right, the volume of pay. <laughs> I mean, they got half a team so, in the backfield. Oh, like man, you 12, guys are 13 brutal. guys <laughs> that Malcolm Jenkins had to pay for. Oh, I don't know how much that bill was, but me as an undrafted guy, I was hiding. Like, I heard about it, <laughs> and they all was like, oh, this is Malcolm's dinner. But it was like 25 guys there. 
including all the DBs, linebackers, defensive sure. linemen. Yeah. And it was wow. like an absurdly not a, a, a high number of guys. And then usually it was like 12, 13 guys, you know, for the whole defense. And That's sneaky. I had to tap on with somebody like, yo, can I split this with him, you know? Because <laughs> I was undrafted. Like, yeah, I was getting my nice checks per week, but I ain't, I ain't had no money, bro, like my rookie year. So I was like, if y'all can just defer me to the end of the year, like, so I can Wait, have a little bit. Build up can a little I have bit a little in the bit, bank account, sure. You know, but yeah. uh, definitely, you know, it's a rite of passage. You know, I think it's a rite of passage, and uh, they do, sometimes they do the, what's it called, credit card? What's it called? It's like they they get they put the credit cards in a the hat, they mix it up, oh, and, and they, they pull it out, it out and whatever that whatever that's called. That's cool too. That's cool because it's like the anxiety is there. Well, you know? yeah, but it's not fun when it's... you just get pulled out of the hat, though, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> or you, the last guy, they pull out all the other credit oh, cards and, they wait for and the they're last... handing them off. You're like, all right, oh, I got man. mine, and you're just looking at the guys like, oh. And wow. it's for for me like that's I think that's that's part of the game. That's part of the building process. That's part of building that team chemistry and I'm gonna keep using that word because I think the best teams in the NFL that when you get to December and January and they're playing really well ball together they're a team with great chemistry you know all the way up from the kicker to the quarterback to the head coach to the GM you know it's it's all throughout because it's very hard to win in this league is talented is talented players at every position on every single team that's a fact I think the NFL does a great job in scouting guys and putting guys through the tester and and Bashing guys, great uh, draft picks, great guys, great players, but they tear them down so much. But every single guy that comes to the NFL deserves to be in the NFL because they've been tested and prodded for so long. And they've, and they've, like, there are guys that are really good football players in college and they don't make it. And it's like, yeah, I could have made it to the NFL. Yeah, you probably could have. But that's the, that's how good the guys are at that level because. They've been testing and product. You can't slip into the NFL and sneak in and, and get in and be like, man, I don't deserve. That doesn't happen. You won't last. <clears throat> yeah. You can't. It'll it'll show up really early in training camp when oh, yeah. they, when somebody put their hands on you. They you're gonna you're gonna get you know uh, you're gonna get uh, whatever exposed. Rude awakening, ASAP, essentially. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's that's so funny, Lance. Now that I've been retired for five years and dealing with you guys, you guys are pros, right? You guys been doing you've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, uh, well, at least uh, we act the part. But go ahead. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate <laughs> it. Schmelk, yeah. uh, Paul, Tino, he's 40 years, right? Professional a term used very loosely in his case, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. But I've been dealing with different people from different professions, right? And then I come up to some guy with a nice business card, a nice you know website, and I'm looking, this guy don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you can't get to the NFL like that. You can't skip steps. Right, everybody that's in the NFL deserves to be in the NFL. Whether they they look the part, you know, they show up on game day, that's a different story. But everybody's been tested and prodded, you know. So everybody that's in those locker rooms deserve to be there. There's no question of that. So when you get those type of guys together, a whole bunch of alpha guys, a whole bunch of guys that are leaders, right? The guys that been doing you know great things for a very long time. You get them together, and all of a sudden you have an alpha out that group. That's when that time gets figured out. It's not always on the field with that alpha, that that big prominent leader or the 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 you know the guy that's going to basically you know hold it down like Achilles and Troy. You know, like one of those guys. <laughs> that kind of gets found out in those dinners. That gets found out on those nights out. Those gets, that that gets found out a lot of times away from the locker room in the field.
you'll learn a little bit more about the personality Absolutely. under those circumstances. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines. I also want to get into the NFC East with Jonathan because we talked about the AFC East earlier this week as well as the NFC West. It's only appropriate with the schedule being released. We talk about the outlook of the division as well because those rivalries will be renewed. 201-939-4513, that is the telephone number. Jerome is in Charlotte. He gets us going here on BBKL. What's happening, Jerome? Hi, guys. Love the show. Um, Thanks for tuning in. I want to... I want to talk more about the rush um, competition with the pass rushers. Um, I see every most positions are um, pretty deep, uh, but pass rusher seems to be the weakest. And I know things are tight, and um, they talked about. Um, Williams, you know, maybe considering taking a pay cut to, to, so he can stay longer with Dexter Lawrence. Jerome, it sounds like you're eyeing somebody on the free agent market. So mm. why don't I make it easy for you? Who are you targeting? Who are you foaming <laughs> at the mouth over that you want them to sign? Well, um, I can wait until, you know, training camp or whenever because I know things, you know, a lot of people are going to get cut. Y'all talk, I've been listening to the show every day. Sure, and I, I I know y'all talking about you know there's going to be people come available at once uh, camp and um, season opener get started. So, but we I know we're tight for money right now, and you know we need to free up some money for the rest of our draft picks. Plus, have a little money to carry over during the season just in case. Sure. And um, another player, um, he was a project from um, with uh, Ocelari, uh I think that's how you pronounce Aziz it. Aziz Ojolari, you talking about? Yeah, he uh, he got cut last season. Well, no, no, you're definitely not talking about Aziz Ojolari. So I'm not sure who you're referring to because oh, Aziz Ojolari oh, is still on the Giants, obviously. No, um. He was. I can't think as good as I know his name. He he, he was that he was memorable, clearly. The last yeah. Super Bowl, but uh, he he went to had a project player from Africa. Oh, you talk about OC OC Uminyora working with a player. Right, That's right, who you're referring right. to. Okay, a pass rusher or the offensive lineman, Roy? Are you well, talking about? I was talking about pass rushers first, but I was wondering about um, the project um, guy. I can't. Th- I don't know his name. What about him also? Is he on the squad this year? or? Well, I think you're referring to – the guy that I think you're referring to, and Jerome, we'll, we'll let you go on that point and appreciate the phone call. I think he's referring to Roy Embedica, the offensive lineman, Jonathan, if you mm-hmm. remember who they brought in and was the international player. So that is a completely different position. That has nothing to do with the pass rush. That's who I thought you were insinuating. He had ties to OC, and that's oh, okay. maybe who he was referring to, but – not Roy, too familiar with that guy. Yeah, Roy's not on the Giants roster, so okay. he's not necessarily in the picture anymore. But let's talk real quickly <clears throat> here about the pass rush. I would say they don't have proven depth, Jonathan, mm-hmm. at the pass rusher department. It's not that they don't have options. It's the fact that it's a little bit of a guessing game. For example, Taman Fox showed some flashes last year, the undrafted rookie out of UNC. Small sample size. 
Then you look at Ellerson Smith. He just has not been able to stay healthy. Yep. Recent draft pick. Ryder Anderson, who's a guy that could go inside and outside. He was an undrafted player last year. Not a whole lot to work with. Aziz, unfortunately, has dealt with some injuries. But you feel good about Aziz and Kayvon being your frontline yep. guys. And then it's a matter of, Jonathan, and you've seen this with a lot of teams, who's the third guy? Yep. I think that's what makes or breaks teams. We see the really good mm. pass rushing units have the third option. Yep. They could bring a guy in for X amount of snaps. He could get into pass situations, get some sacks, and now the offense has to account for him. I don't know right now if I could pinpoint one guy that on the Giants can assume that consistent third role. Yeah, and I think you mentioned the names. I think you throw O'Shane uh, Zimenez in that mix. You know, maybe not the pass rusher, uh, uh, you know, professional as Aziz or, or Kayvon Thibodeau, but he's also a guy, the, the guys that we name in those top four guys, they all had injury problems last year. You know, those, those some, some guys have to, you know, stay on the field. You know, I think the number one ability is availability, you know, and that's, Absolutely. that's a box where the Giants need to figure out how to check that box off from their top guys because Aziz, I watched him play last year and he didn't play a lot of games, but he was by far the most productive pass rusher that they have in the times that he played, right? Kayvon Thibodeau, he went weeks and weeks and weeks without a sack, but he was getting pressures. He was getting, you know, a lot of tackles for losses, but he didn't really touch that sack number for a while. And then he started making some big sacks, strip fumbles for a touchdown. You know, he's a guy that can change the game. And what you're talking about, these are game changers. The game has evolved to being a pass-happy, pass-friendly, pass-first type of league. You need guys to disrupt the pass. The Giants have them but they got to keep them healthy they got to figure out how to keep these guys healthy and if you can't you got to have depth O'Shane Zimenez Tamon Fox those guys provide that depth but they also got to stay healthy too 100% yeah and once again we're talking about are they proven enough to say hey you know exactly what you're getting out of them because O'Shane's also dealt with some injuries he was just re-signed Baldonado the undrafted rookie out of Pitt I think he's an intriguing guy he had a season with nine sacks maybe he can carve out a role I would say probably the third guy but here's the thing Jonathan he's not a sack guy is Jihad Ward Yep. because he's done those disruptive plays that you mm -hmm. were talking about but he's not a guy that you're going to get seven sacks out of is what I'm getting at over the course of the season I guess now maybe that's a luxury but if you can get even a guy with five to six sacks to complement oh, right, the players that maybe are more in the eight to ten territory, that's a nice situation to be well, in. Well, that's where you go into Dexter Lawrence, right, and what he did last year and how dominant he was because he sure. was getting some sacks at opportune moments in the game during the season. And that's what I think got him that bag that he got last week. And, that's one way to put it. You know, but if you look at Wink's defense, he doesn't really do the four down and just basically get after you with the four down. He's always bringing extra guys, whether that's corner safeties or linebackers, right? And that opens up doors for one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So you got to get guys to beat one-on-ones. That's what you really got to have. You got to have a consistent uh, guys that are consistently beating one-on-one. -on -one. Now that's going to be able to make that quarterback move in that pocket, whether it's pressure in the A-gap up front where you're getting them stepped aside or stepping up in the pocket from that pressure from outside from the Aziz and that Kayvon Thibodeau spot. But then you got to have great blitzers. Right, Landon Collins, my three years here in, in New York, one of the best blitzers I've ever seen from that safety position. We blitzed him so much, he was in the box, you know, and he'll be back deep, but they would count him in the run game, especially on those running situations, because he would blitz on running downs. First and second down, we would send him on blitzes. So he was almost a defensive lineman, you know, wearing number 21. You know, so not only do you gotta have guys to beat those one-on-one -on -one blocks, but you gotta have those those 
guys on the back end from the linebacker to DB <clears throat> to corner to safety to not only be great pass rushers, but to understand the passing protection, right? And that's that's how you create those, not not just one-on-ones, but those free free guys running. For favorable matches. One time, Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau, they didn't even block him one time last year. But that's because when you start mixing stuff up on defense, you start showing one way, disguised in another way, it all combines together. So the the scheme of the defense, the 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 attitude of the blitzers that are adding on and their track. This is something that guys don't talk about a lot. Like defensive linemen, they don't really fall step because they're right here and engaged right away. Blitzers like defensive backs and linebackers Sometimes they're untouched, but they don't get to the quarterback because their track is wrong. Their feet are wrong. So let's say if a guy, let's say a middle linebacker, he has a B-gap blitz. You have to understand that that B-gap is not going to be there anymore. It's not going to be in that same spot that you're heading to. It's going to move. And if you understand that the linemen are going to slide a certain way, you can hit that a little bit faster. And I'm talking about 0 .2, 0 .3, 0 .4 seconds, not even a second. Just that little bit is where that quarterback can either get sacked or he getting that ball off. You know, so it's a combination of things, and the way this defense is built, you don't really need a, a dominant pass rusher. You just got to have guys that's on point on the back end because he sends so many guys all the time, and you expect it. But that also creates the opportunities for one-on-ones, which you need that dominant pass rusher to win that, not sometimes, but most of the time, if not all the time. Well, because I'm bringing up the sack totals to your point, because you brought up an interesting point. You don't need necessarily a dominant pass rusher. First of all, if you go back to Wink's days with the Ravens, he never had a 10-sack guy in never? all of his seasons. Wow, yeah, as the I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not saying but that. But that, that causes to the scheme that he runs. Because it's a spread-the-wealth mentality. Yep. So if you look at, Jonathan, the Giants had 41 sacks last season. I don't know if you can see my computer here. Look at how many different guys had at yep. least half a sack. Yep. You know, I mean, we're talking about nearly 20 players. Yep. So that can help you overcome Absolutely. the hurdle that yep. you're talking about if you don't have a 10-sack guy. But that's Wings' defense, too. Exactly. So it's, it's not like, yeah. does, does the Giants have a dominant pass rusher? Numbers at the end of the year might not indicate that. But the, the question is, are the Giants a dominant pass rushing team? Correct. The group, the unit yes, the overall. collective group. And can they create opportunities Absolutely. for one another? And we saw flashes of that. So I think that's the mentality. And right now, going back to the caller's point, okay, maybe you don't see a guy on the roster that's easily going to give you six sacks. But if you get three or four guys right. that give you three sacks, yeah. right? right? Or even two sacks, you're still getting... Mm -hmm. Solid production. You're just not getting it from one guy in particular. Right, right. And and you look at teams that that do that four down. You know, like Buffalo. Buffalo is a is a lot of soft coverage on the back end, cover two, protect against the pass. You know, you got a lot of guys dropping back, playing depth underneath passes are okay. Just go go down and tackle those guys. But they rely on their pass rush a lot. That's when you need that dominant force at defensive end or outside linebacker or that that pass, that rusher that's just going to cause havoc, you know, time in and time out, and that's going to force that double team to, again, free up some of the other guys on the other side. And that's every defensive coordinator's dream, right. to free up a guy so he could do some damage. That's the key here. And as you get more comfortable within the system and you bring in new players, you certainly should be able to hopefully achieve that task. Let's head back to the phone lines. Donnie's in Queens. Joining us here on Big New Kickoff Live. What's happening, Donnie? What do you got for us? I've got the schedule if you want it. Well, if you have any things that you've seen online, I mean, we've all seen the whispers, but nothing's official. So I would say save the reveal for no, I, a later date. I have date. the schedule. Well, I get it early every year. Well, even if you do get it, it's still not going to hold any weight, Donnie. 
on this program. Okay. Yeah. I'll just say this as a season ticket holder. We got screwed this year. We don't have an afternoon home game until week eight, uh, which, which is absolutely terrible. And I, I know you guys have been talking about this. The price of expectations is night games. And, man, the way the schedule came out, it, it really sucks for, for us here. But, um, you know, going back to the team, I've said this a million times. If the Giants are going to play at the level they did last year or better, Aziz Ojolari, Evan Neal, and Kayvon Thibodeau, those are the guys. They, they have to play better. It's premium positions, premium assets, particularly with Thibodeau and Neal. Those guys better play better or we are going to fall back this year. Uh, but I was really going to call to give you the schedule, but since you don't want it, I'll hang up and listen. All right. Sounds good, Donnie. Appreciate the phone call. So what was he talking about? He's season ticket holder, so he got the tickets. I don't know who his sources are or whoever is connected. Oh, he knows Goodell? Like, what's going on? He knows Roger Goodell for all we know. (laughs) Donnie and Roger Goodell are hanging out. That's how he got it. There you go. We got to the bottom of it. (laughs) Well, but getting back to the second point here in terms of the schedule does improve at least on the surface, right, in terms of the caliber of the competition. And once again, that's only the paper test. And preseason. Correct. Preseason. Yes, exactly. Based we don't off know, last year. We don't yeah. know how those teams are going to pan out. But it's fair to say stiffer competition compared to what last year's schedule offered. I think that's a fair assessment. Well, in hindsight, because in the beginning of the season, the NFC West and the NFC, the AFC West were supposedly the best conferences look at going into the season. No, you're and now this year, you got the NFC East being the best conference last year going in playing the AFC East, which yep. is a really good conference last year too. Who knows what's going to happen with the two divisions? You know, some teams are going to take a step back. Some teams are going to take a step forward. You know, I think last year, and you made this point several times on the pregame show, there are a whole bunch of teams that made the playoffs that didn't make the playoffs the year before. I think oh. the number was either six or seven. Seven. Like yeah. new teams that didn't make the playoffs that's the year half prior. the field. Yeah. Right. So if you take that into consideration, somebody that's really that was really good last year is not going to be that good. Somebody that's not been that good is probably going to sneak into the playoffs this year. That's just what history tells us. That's why we only say and preface our comments based on what we thought looked good last year based on the movement that they had in free agency and the draft and maybe how that will carry out. But I think the AFC West is a perfect example. For example, look what happened to Denver, Mm -hmm. right? If you had Denver on your schedule, if we were talking right now about you're a team, you have the Broncos on your schedule, you'd figure, okay, it's going to be a tough game and didn't necessarily turn out that way, at least from an offensive standpoint. They had a very good defense last year, but the offense didn't complement the defense. As far as, though, how this point relates to the Giants – Yeah, you're definitely going to need the defense overall to step up. Well, first of all, we know the run defense has to improve, right? Yes, that's number one. And that's Mm -hmm. why they went out. They brought in A'shaun Robinson. You hope that Dexter Lawrence continues to pick up where he left off and the linebackers like Bobby Okereke. So, okay, you have new personnel, but you also need to look at it from this standpoint, Jonathan. I think you can maybe provide some insight. I'd be curious when you've been in a defense for a number of years. Wink's defenses have been known from his Baltimore days, but this was his first go-around with the Giants. Anyone playing the Giants this year has more film on Wink's defenses and his tendencies, despite the fact that there's some new personnel. So you have to account for maybe what was a little bit of the unknown last year is a little bit more of the known. And the same thing can be said of Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. Their offensive philosophy, they're thinking, oh, what is he going to do? We know what he did in Buffalo, what Kafka did in Kansas City. Now we got a glimpse of what they did with the Giants. Now you have a better idea of perhaps what their tendencies and philosophies are. Yeah, and then also you got to you got to figure that these are guys, except the younger guys of rookies that are coming in this year, 
This are, these are guys that are on the Giants last year. This is their second year in his defense. So they're going to be a little bit faster than they were last year because they're not thinking sure. as much, right? Especially early in the year where I feel like things were all over the place and they run like a multiple you know, front type of defense where they kind of switch it up depending on who they're playing, which I think is awesome, right? But then you have you have tendencies that you go against certain fronts, right? Let's say you're going against a team that has two tight ends and they bring out that 12-type personnel with those two tight ends. You're going to line up some a, sim, a similar way to other teams that present that type of front to you. Same thing like on defense. You got, you're got going against, excuse me, offense. When you're going against a team that runs that, that nose guard covering up over the center, that's going to be a whole type, type of attack like that, that other teams that that similar front run. So you're going to look at other film that teams that look like you on defense or offense, and you're going to get a better, I guess, calculation of what the team is going to do because it's always a guess. It's always a hypothesis of what this team is going to do. But then you put together, you know, everything that you've seen on film, and then you go attack it that way, and you you develop a game plan like that. But then also when I look at the players, it's always good to be in a system for longer than one year. You know, that people always say, oh, I had five, six defensive coordinators in seven years, right? Yeah. That's stress because you're learning so much new, not just football scheme terminology, right? I played on the SPAG system. He didn't call stuff 11 and 12. He had names like Zebra and Ace and Regular. It's a new language. Right. It's a whole new language. Literally, like, you, you go from, from eating fruits to vegetables, right? Not apples and pears. Like, it's <laughs> you're just switching the whole group, right? And and that's a whole learning process. But now that the guys have it underneath their, you know, their, their belt for a year, that can help bring the younger guys along because the older guys are more experienced. The first year, last year, there's no older guys that can help anybody. Because they're all new in the system. So they're learning it all together. Now you get a guy like Aziz and Kayvon, even though they're younger guys, Kayvon being in his second year, he can help a rookie this year because he's actually been through it at least one year. And now he's, he, he touched in uh, last year, offseason, touched it in training camp. You revisit again during the season. Now you touch it again during offseason activities, training camp. So now you're going to touch that defense four to five times before you go back out there for this 2023 season and you have knowledge that you can help other guys in certain areas which nobody can help anybody last year because everybody was just learning. Yeah, other than Jihad Ward, I would say, because he was he's with been there before. Wink in right, Baltimore, Wink, correct. Right. But now it's not, let's go to Jihad. Right. Now you could go to pretty much seven or eight right. different and, guys. And, and me, I'm always, when I was playing, I, especially young guys, or not even young, when I got into a new defense, I'm always coach, hey, because there's always, like, they give you a defense with rules, right? But then there's offensive, whether whether it's formation, scheme, or plays that can beat or that gives you, that gives them an advantage over this defense. So I'm always like, hey, coach, what if they run three, you know, three wide out of this? What do we do? The adjustment. So not all the time coaches can answer. So now I go to, Vilma was my big bro in, 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 yeah. Hey, JV, what, what are we doing if they do this? He knew the defense in and out. And for me, I was a guy that wanted to know everything about the defense. And I was studying enough film to be like, against cover two, this would put some stress on us. JV, what do we do if we run cover two against this formation and they run this route pattern? Now you got a guy that can give you those answers. And he's not like, hey, let me ask coach. Sure. You know, because yeah. that's probably what happened a lot last year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, because that's the thing about these offenses and defenses, right? You got cover two. 
which is a great against the pass, not so good against the run. But then you have a whole offensive plays that run cover two beaters. You know, so if you stay in cover two, they're gonna just roll right over it. Yeah, exactly. Kick your butt. You know, so you got to mix stuff up. You know, and that's that's the great thing about familiarity with defense because you know, like maybe we are in cover two, but we're gonna look we're gonna look like cover three, or we're gonna look like this blitz that we're used to running on first and second down, but we're actually playing cover two. So there's a lot that goes into the second year in running an offensive or defensive scheme. Good and bad for offense and defense, meaning from this side and that side. And the same thing can be said. You were talking about a player going to a coach. Some of the assistants, too, had not worked with Wink prior. Right. So they were learning. For example, like Jerome Henderson. He was learning Wink's system. Right. And now he knows it 10 times better, yep. I'm sure, if you mm-hmm. have conversations with him. So I think it goes twofold. The player's direction as well as the coach's direction. There's so many more guys in the room. And same thing on the offensive side of the ball who now have a better feel for Brian Dable and Mike Kafka and what they want to run. Because last season, and by the way, John Feliciano is not here anymore, but Feliciano would probably be a guy that most of the offensive linemen would turn to, right? Because he and Bobby Johnson, they knew the offense backwards and forwards. So now, Andrew Thomas, Evan Neal, Mark Lewinsky, all those guys... You know they have a much better grasp yep, of what yep. they need. To it, it's look, it's always good. Like you, when you gotta, when you gotta learn a new system, it literally every single person on that side of the ball, like you said, coaches included, is learning this for the first time. So you will see something, and like I said, there are plays out there that beat these defenses. Like offenses have cover three, cover two, cover six. They, uh, zone fire pressure. They have beaters for every single defense out there. Sometimes you don't know until it happens on defense. Like you don't know that, oh, we're susceptible to this because of this, right? But once you have it one time under your belt and you got those notes, you know what I'm saying, over the yeah, years. You got a better feel. You, you, you won't get, you know, gashed. You know, you won't get surprised like, Okay, maybe we don't run that defense against this formation or against this team that runs this play against that defense, right? Or you know, you you have just a better understanding, so you know what you could possibly get or expect from the offense or defense that you're going against. Few reminders before we reopen up the phone lines: Giants Huddle Podcast. You can check that out on your favorite podcast platform, or you can head to Giants.com/slash/podcast. Speaking of the upcoming schedule, Giants fans, you can take your fandom to the next level with a season ticket membership. Stay connected to the club all year round, not just on game days. Memberships are now available for the 2023 season. To learn more about all the exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com slash tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Tom in Stratford. Joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Tom? Good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm Good afternoon glad JC's on today. Good afternoon. I wanted to revisit the scheduling issue. And I just want to say that I think the NFL treats their most valuable commodities, the players and the, and the fans, very poorly. I mean, this idea of flexing these games and theoretically having to play on Monday night, then having maybe to come back and play on a Thursday or even on a Sunday, I mean, traveling, I just think they, 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 they beat on the players, and I don't think the players got enough concessions from the league when they added that additional game. I mean, that's really just going to shorten your lifespan in the league. 
And uh, I always felt like the NFL needed a stronger union, like the uh, Major League Baseball players. You know, that their union would never, never allow this stuff to go on, you know, flexing games all over the place. And imagine being a fan, but you have a ticket to a Sunday 4 o'clock game, and all of a sudden you find out, oh, no, we're moving into Thursday night. Well, that wouldn't happen. It'd be more of a Sunday-Monday switch. But they wouldn't do Sunday-Saturday, too, towards the end of the season, right? There may be a few games that'll be moved to a Saturday like it was last year. They wait and see whether or not those games are meaningful. But the most popular move that won't happen until week 13 would be Sunday-Monday switch because Monday games are going to be flexed. But here's the other thing. There's going to be a two-week notification for that. It's not like they're going to tell you the week prior. You're going to have two weeks to know, okay, now you've got to adjust the schedule because you're going from Sunday to Monday or vice versa. That time would that help the little two weeks notice would that help a little bit because i hear you i hear your your your, your argument uh, no because you know <laughs> i mean you, you gotta make plans and you know we 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 work too you know? well you're looking I mean, at it from the fan perspective i completely get fair. that yeah, yeah understandable no, no, i'm also looking from the player's perspective too i mean you got i just don't think you get treated very well by the league and um I, I, I heard a couple of years ago, and JC, maybe you can confirm this, that the NFL pension plan doesn't kick in to the player has uh, played four years. Yep. And meanwhile, the average career is two and a half seasons or three seasons. Yep. Yep. Oh, and, well, and that's, let me, let is, me that t- is that true? Yeah, let me tell you something, too. There, there are guys that, <clears throat> that are on a bubble <clears throat> going into that third year, and they don't play. You know, that's tough. When you put two full years in and maybe two and a half years in and you get released or cut in the middle of the season, that's tough, man. You know, but this is the thing. You know, and I was talking about this earlier with Lance. Like, everybody that's got to the NFL, they deserve to be here. You got some really tough guys that's been through adversity throughout their whole life. So, besides the Thursday games, that's the only thing that for me was very stressful given my body was always beat up every single year that I've ever played football and my body about Thursday starts to feel better, you know? So like I'm literally playing, still feeling the remnants of last week, the residual effects. Go ahead, Tom, go ahead. I know exactly. That's my point. I mean, they're they're bunching these games too close together. You guys can't have a chance to recover. Yeah, I agree. The Thursday games, like I I said, Tom, it throws me off. It throws me off, but, I don't mind flexing games because usually the flexing is going to a primetime type of situation. And I love playing a primetime. Like, I love being the only game on. At 1 o'clock, you got to worry about what 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 uh, region you're in, you know, like if, if, if the game's actually being covered, how many other games are on that, that day, that morning. You know, so I love playing primetime. I love knowing that people are watching us play. I love beating teams in primetime. Sure, you know, that was exposure. one of the things that I loved. And, I don't think a lot of a lot of guys in the NFL are really critiquing the schedule. You know, I haven't really heard conversations like that. That was never something that we've discussed too much. Like I said, it was always the international games, those primetime Monday night games. The Thursday game was always like, oh, man, we got this Thursday game early in the week. Well, at least we get it out the way, right? Because the Thursday game is the one for me to this day. I still don't understand why we're doing Thursday games. I understand Black Friday because that's a holiday. That's a special type of deal. But Thursday games is just Thursday. 
Like, there's nothing special about Thursday besides you're not getting enough rest for the next game. Sure. Well, it's, I'll answer the question. It's an additional day, and appreciate the phone call, Tom. Thanks for giving us a ring. It's an additional day for exposure. Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean what is it all about now? Well, I mean, listen. right? During the COVID year, remember the games? They were like, oh, it's going to be some cancellations. There wasn't no cancellations. Everything was postponed. Correct. Yeah. All well, games got played we, that year. And we actually had a game on every single day of the week. Every single day of the week. Monday I remember that. I didn't yeah, mind it. We had it. a Wednesday game. I didn't mind it. Between, I think, Baltimore Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. I didn't mind it at all. You know, but that's very stressful. COVID years, of course, is a different year. Yeah. You know, there's only been what one cancellation and I don't even know how long, which is the Buffalo. Well, the Bengals Bills. Yeah, that game, which was somebody died on the field. Sure. You know, but like the, the, the NFL, they're gonna play their games, right? They're gonna maximize that potential with all of these new streaming services. Now you got Amazon, and who knows, maybe we will get to in the next five, seven years to where the NFL is played on every single day of the week throughout the year, you know? And I'm not talking about every single week there's a game every single day, no. No, but they may throw in, you're saying, a specialized game. Yeah, specialized games because they want to maximize on money. Like, that's what it's all about, profit here in the NFL. They don't consider fans, I'm sorry, they really don't, when when they're figuring stuff out, especially because they know fans are going to pay. You know, fans are going to pay and see their team play, right? The players... They don't really consider the players either. They look at the CBA and it's like, all right, cool. It's in the CBA. They can't say nothing about it. So we're going to push them until we keep bending and bending and bending. I'm not going to break it. They're not going to violate the NFL guys, but they're going to push to maximize profit every single time they get a chance to. That's just what it is. I think the Thursday conversation you pointed out, the players don't maybe talk as much about it is because I think it's been around for so many years at this point. It's sort of second nature, right? When something first comes out, you're like, oh, man. And then you just do it year in and year out. You're like, all right, it's the nature of the beast. So that's why maybe it's not as big of a talking point. The Monday flex aspect, which is going to be brand new for this year's schedule, I personally feel it impacts fans more so than the teams. And the reason I say is if you're a team, you get a two-week notice – not saying it's going to make it e- any easier, especially if you go from Monday to Sunday, because you know coaches are regimented, players are regimented, you have your schedule, but you're going on a private plane. It's not like you got to worry about maneuvering things. For a fan, okay, you book hotel rooms, now you got to stay over an additional day, okay, yep. that's now that's an why additional I, expense. I understood his argument. Yeah, so that's why it. I understood where he was coming from, but the Thursday game, I think it's been as part of the schedule for so many years, coaches and players have a pretty good grasp on it. They understand the road teams are always at a disadvantage, Jonathan, right? Because you have Wednesday where you have to travel. The home team at least doesn't have to move. Right. You're barely practicing. We know. I mean, the writing is on the wall. But as you pointed out, the marketability of the league, the money, the influx of that, that's the biggest influence behind that. I'm going to be interested to see the level of impact the flex tweak with Mondays and Sundays because we've never had that. We've yeah. had Sunday games you go from one to eight, right? vice versa. Okay, that's not an alarming adjustment. Yeah. Late in the season, though, you're pushing for a playoff spot. You are scheduled Sunday. Your game gets moved Monday. Now you have a quicker turnaround. I'm thinking for the next week. See, for I'm the not following thinking about, week. Yep. It's not to me about the Sunday-Monday switch. It's about how does that impact the, the prep for the week. following mm-hmm. week, especially if you're in some tight races for the division or a wild card spot. That's going to be interesting to monitor. Yeah, that's always something that you got to consider because you get an extended week one week, meaning you got to from Sunday to Monday, then the following week you go from Monday to Sunday. Yeah, you always get on the back end. Yeah. Somehow it's going to impact. Yeah. You know yeah. what I would like, though? And I always thought this would be ideal if they would do like a Thursday game or something like that after a bye week. 
Well, there's been a lot of talk about that. You know, so, like so you get you get appropriate time to rest from the first game. Yep. And then of course it's a short week, but you've been resting for what seven, ten days, eleven days, or something like that. Like, because at the end of the day, if we really care about players' health, we wouldn't have Thursday games. If they truly, truly cared about players' health, and I'm talking about truly, they would get rid of Thursday games. They would, but they're not going to do it because the number one thing I think for the NFL is to make money, and they do that every year. People keep talking about the ratings going down. I haven't seen it. Ratings go down? That's, but you know, during COVID, COVID's like, oh, the ratings are going down. The That's kneeling, nonsense. Remember the kneeling? The ratings yeah. are going down. I said, bro, I, no, they're not. If <laughs> They're not yeah. going down. They're if, never going to go down. If you look at, and I don't know off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, but I was reading it passing, the top 10 most watched TV shows, I think, last year, you had like seven or eight of them were NFL, NFL games. games. I believe so, it. I mean, come the, on. the NFL has a great product, and what they're trying to do is get that product out to different people to keep expanding the viewership throughout the exactly throughout the world. Not, it's not... This is the this is the NFL and it's in America, but it's the number one sport for me in the world. Definitely not over soccer, but right. But when you consider how much money and how much people watch that Super Bowl, it's the number one sport in the world. It's right? Not, it's not the NFL. It's the IFL. Yeah, it's the International, International Football, Football League. League. Okay, you should rename it, Jonathan. I'll put you on the phone with Goodell. You well, that and would him change have some for, conversation. Not for long. To in for long, and that ain't the truth. Okay, so there you go. Well, we'll have to make some new acronym out of it. Out. All right, we'll work on that in the upcoming months. Let's head back to the lines. Peter's in Florida, joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Peter? Hey, Lance and Jonathan, how you guys doing today? Doing well. well. How about yourself? What do you got for us? Good, good. So I had a couple quick things. I wanted to get your opinions, but especially Jonathan's, because he was a former player, to get his uh, take on it. Um, so first thing, the schedule. I missed the beginning part of the of the show, so if you addressed it, I apologize. But for you, Jonathan, as soon as you got the, the new schedule for the year when you were playing, were there any games that you would circle as like a personal game you were looking forward to? Or any certain games like a grind in the schedule where you're like, oh man, I have three road games in a row that I have to deal with. What was for you personally something you would be excited or upset about when the schedule came out? If good, anything. good question. I kind of touched on it earlier, yeah. but you mentioned the point just now, which I didn't say earlier, is that three or four game stretch where you're playing away for three or four weeks in a row. Not four weeks, but three weeks in a row. It's happened with three. Yeah, yeah. With, with three. And that's tough. That That's tough being away, but you also know you're going to have a couple home games in a, in a row as well. You know, so that's something you look at. But what I look at first is, number one, you got to look at that season opener, which I talked what I talked about earlier. Number two, for me, I got to pay attention to that Thursday game because that's the yeah. game where I feel like you just, you're just not really prepared for it. Like, you you don't really have anything in your schedule to get you prepared to play a Thursday game. Like, you don't have practice before a Thursday game. You have walkthroughs, you know, and people always talk about, oh, even Dayball is a, is a main proprietor of this. You got to be prepared. Excuse me. You show up on Sunday because of how you practice, right? You can't practice for a Thursday game. You're literally doing walkthroughs, right? So that's number one. And then I look at stuff like this. Like, when I was playing, you know, for the Saints and we played the Jets or the Giants, like, I'm from Jersey. So, like, I would always circle that on my calendar. Hey, Mom, coming home. You know, make sure we get the family, you know. So, stuff like that. Playing in, you know, uh, places where you play college ball at. You know, other teammates that you have. You know, that, that oh, my guy, I play with this guy. And you circle down your calendar. So, there's certain things like that. But for me, I didn't really pay attention to the schedule per se. Especially, like, now. I'm more paying attention to it now 
you know, as where I'm at now on this broadcasting side of it than I was as a player because for, the only thing that really mattered to me was that first game. You know, and I remember one year we had Oakland on the schedule and it was uh, Marshawn and we had to play Marshawn Lynch. I'm not going to lie. My off-season leg routine was a little bit heavier that year. <laughs> every, time I did a, every time yes. I did a deadlift, I thought about driving Marshawn Lynch back because you're going to need everything to bring that guy back. But little stuff like that, you know, like, oh, man, I'm playing Adrian Peterson, right? Guys that, you know, Michael Vick, right? That was one guy that, yep. man, we're playing Vick at home, right? Stuff like that. You look at, you know, big-time matchups. You look at big-time players. And, I, you know, Ezekiel Elliott was a guy that was a really good force to, you know, to go against uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, especially his first three years in the league, which is the, the three years that I got him when he was a force. You know, so I would look at stuff like that. And But I talked about this earlier, too. Sometimes I didn't know who we're playing in two weeks. You know, I'm so focused on the week to week. I didn't know who we were playing in two weeks. You know, I got my family from Jersey like, hey, man, I want tickets to the Eagles. My dad, I want tickets to the Giants game, you know. And, and I'm like, when do we play the Giants? You know, when do we play the Eagles? He's like, in two weeks. And I'm like, I, I didn't know because I'm so locked in to who we got next. You know, who is up now, who we got next. And that's really what I paid attention to as a player. And we did touch on that briefly mm -hmm. early on. I had asked you about the things that you observe that you look for because you may monitor the schedule right before the season starts, but then once you're into the season, you're not you're looking locked. seven weeks yeah, down the road or whatever in. it may be. Yep. That's why the week-to-week -week league is a cliche, but I think there is it's, some validity to it, absolutely. though, at the same time, based on what you're talking about. Now, with respect to the division, I wanted to get into this because I'm also curious your perspective. Personally, Jonathan, my feeling is... And I know there's been more of an emphasis. They want more divisional games later in the season because they don't want teams to say, all right, we're mathematically out of it. We can rest guys. Mm. And, and I think that's worked effectively, especially, I mean, the Giants had five of their last seven in the division last year. Rough. And that may be more of the extreme. But on the opposite end, I also wish they waited till the first quarter of this year ended before they start divisional games. For example, mm. I'm not fond of week one. Dallas. Right out of the gates. <laughs> Correct. The divisional game. because And here's my philosophy. The games are important. It goes without saying. I also feel if they're that important, you want to get a better feel for who's in the division. And sometimes you want to see maybe two to three weeks of film before all of a sudden you get thrust right into it. And we also know, and this goes back to limited contact and training camp and this and that, it's not product-wise always not, ideal, yeah, right? Week one. Week yeah, one, week two. I, I mean, you. I'm not telling yeah. you anything new. And if, the once again, the divisional games are so important, to me it makes sense to wait. I'm not saying wait eight weeks, but maybe three, give two to week, three, three weeks four. and then week four start mm -hmm. rolling them out. Yeah, I was I just mean, curious how you feel I never, about that. Never thought, of that, thought about that. You know, I know the Giants last year having the Commanders twice in three weeks and having basically the back end of the schedule full of divisional games. Oh, yeah. Right? When we played, what, uh, Dallas one time. That was it. Dallas was the only game in the first, in the half, first of the half of the season. That was it. Right? And that's, yeah. I think that's a little rough. I think that's a little rough. Correct. Kind of backloaded to the division. You want it a little bit more balanced. Because they're all like must-win games in the division. Right? And the Giants didn't fare well in the division last year. You know? And hopefully this year, you know, you get some diversity and you mix it up. But I hear what you're saying because that week one product that you're putting out there is not going to be the same at week 17. It's just not. Whether it's due to injuries, chemistry, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, guys that are playing in their second year, playing in the first game of the second year is a lot different than playing in the last game of the second year. Because it's basically the first game is like an extension of the year prior. Yeah. 
You know, and then the last game is like, now you have two full seasons. Two full seasons of not only getting the defense, but getting the adjustments to different offensive, defensive beaters that they go against, right? So I hear what you're saying, but for me, I love playing in Dallas week one. <laughs> I love, well, especially a prime Of time. course, yes. I no, I, I don't blame I you for that it. standpoint. Sure. I love it. And it's the rivalry. Well, here's the thing. I'm not naive. Get that L on a record early, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not naive, and this goes back to the marketability. The NFL, right out of the gates, they want to give you premier matchups. Yep. I get that. But ideally, if you just go based on the structure and substance of the schedule, I would campaign across the board week one. You should have all out-of-conference contests. I like that. AFC against NFC. And here's why. Ooh. Here's my rationale for that. My rationale for that is, think about this, Jonathan. When you get to tiebreakers at the tail end of the season, right? And we're trying to determine who gets the seventh seed versus the sixth seed. Notice the one part of the record that never comes into play is out-of-conference out games, right? Yep. It's always in-conference yes. games. How did you fare against the NFC? How did you fare against the NFC East? So if we're talking about the product is iffy in the early stages, teams are still getting a feel for one another, you're still giving us good matchups, right? Yep. But you're not holding those rough performances against teams mm. later on in the season in tiebreaker situations. Yeah. And, and especially because in the division, the games count as two. Correct. Because you yeah. give a loss to a team in your division and you, of course, get a win. Oh division. yeah, you could go up two games. You have a, like, you, like no, that. you, you yeah. make a great point. You yeah. know, and and like I said before, as the games get last year, right? As the game kept the, the season kept on going, the games and games the games got more and more important, right? The two Commanders games were very important. The Indianapolis game was very important. The only game that I feel like wasn't important in the last half of the season was Week 17 when uh, the Giants played the Philadelphia Eagles. Because that was a game where nothing happened in terms Correct. of yeah. uh, moving up or down. And the that... league doesn't have a crystal ball under those circumstances. Yeah. It's hard. Right. So yeah. it's it's hard. And, and that was kind of a, not a worthless game, but it wasn't as it was the weeks prior. Of course. Four weeks prior when the Giants played the Eagles on Christmas Day. Sure. And that had major implications of what was going to happen in the playoffs. Right. So and, – and, the back end is like, yeah, but if what if the team secured a playoff spot? They didn't move like basically what the Giants were in 2022. That Week 17 game doesn't – I don't say it doesn't mean anything. Everything means something. But it wouldn't be as, I guess, as prominent and as influential in the playoffs or for the record in general on the season as it would happen if it was just two weeks prior when you were fighting that for that playoff spot. I just don't see the league saying we don't want divisional games in the last week of the season. But they can't predict it. Correct. They can't predict And that's mm -hmm. my point. And also I feel – they're going to say 90% of the time a divisional game is going to be meaningful. And right. you could argue, Jonathan, from the Eagles' perspective, the game was meaningful. They still had the division had, up yeah, for grabs. Yeah. The Giants didn't have anything to play right. for, but they had something still to play for. So at least half of the battle was but won I remember for the NFL. two years ago, was it the Raiders and the Chargers? Or the Correct. That was a playing game, 17, essentially. And like yep. everybody was trying to figure out what was going to happen because they were tied so late in the game. And I'm sitting there scratching my head like, are they going to force a tie? Well, because that would have gotten them both right. in, yeah. if memory and, serves me correctly. So those, yeah. that, those games are like that, which you can't predict. You know, the NFL, there's no way they can predict how good or bad both teams are going to be in Week 17. Yeah. There's no. no way you can predict that. You don't know how much they're going to be playing for. You don't Correct. know if the whole season is on the line. You don't know who's going to be sailing it in to get that draft pick. You don't know, you know. So I think the NFL, like you said, 90%, they do a great job in matching these games up. And then sometimes it works out to where that last game, the whole season is on the line. 
with that last game. And we've seen that year in and year out with different teams. The Giants haven't been in that situation. And the one time they were last year, they're already locked in, right? They weren't, they haven't been playing for much at the end of the year in years prior. And the one year that they have was a game that really didn't matter to them too much. Yeah, I mean, you just, you never know. It's that's, the luck of the crazy. draw under the circumstances. I mean, teams are not going to complain if they can rest some of their well, starters. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think from the national appeal standpoint, you always want there to be some meaningful games down the stretch. But that's why I think the larger point here is more of an emphasis on divisional play later in the year, more of an emphasis on out-of-conference well, play earlier in the I year. I about to just say not yeah. so early. Not really later, but more, more not so early. No, what well, well, you're saying is is basically make it mix and match a little bit to have more of the wealth spread across the board. But you don't also want to be too bottom heavy where it's five out of seven. Yeah. So for example, you just you want to find balance. But you know the old story is Jonathan, they can't wind up balancing it for every the entire team. Yeah. schedule, Especially right? For every team. It just doesn't in the work beginning like that. of the season, every strength of schedule is based off of the last year's performance of these teams. And like we said earlier, you have you can't really predict who's going to be better or you know worse or stay the same from the year prior. There's no way that you can judge that. No, you oh, there's no way. You just go based on how exciting the offseason was in the right. big names. Yes. But are the big names going to be on the field in week 14? Right. I don't know. Healthy. Your guess is as good as right. mine. Aaron right. Rodgers with the Jets, right? Aaron Rodgers has had some injury stuff and of course. the Jets line is not so great. Can Aaron Rodgers stay healthy the whole year, right? That's a huge question for the Jets. A huge question. Because if he if he doesn't, if he gets knocked out early, knock on wood, I hope nobody gets hurt, right? They got to deal with Zach Wilson again. Well, and that's also <laughs> – well, I don't think they want to deal with that, but that's all other story. We'll save that for uh, a different show on a different platform apparently. But in all seriousness, real quick, that's more of a reason why I think they wanted to build in just to bring this conversation full circle, the Monday night flex. Because, Jonathan, the league does not want to be put in a position where you have a Monday night game – Aaron Rodgers, knock on wood, God forbid he gets hurt, and now the Jets are not as appealing in that lone primetime spot. Because, listen, I do Monday Night Post on Sirius XM NFL Radio. I can tell you there were a lot of late games that were worth staying up for. Oh my, well, listen, I had to. So, you know, that goes back to your term professional, okay? Yeah. We're professionals, yeah, okay? Did. We still put on the dog and pony show we under still. those circumstances. We make it maybe more exciting than it seems. But the point is, in all seriousness, I think the league wants protection that if there's an injury or the game is not as appealing, they have an opportunity to move a game out of Sunday. That's the rhyme and the reason. Yeah. It doesn't always work out great from the fans' perspective, from the players' perspective, but I'm giving you the rationale, which. If you look at it through that lens, it at least makes sense. Because from that it's, standpoint. it's a the NFL, of course, it's a business and it's all about production from inside as the players and also from the outside. Literally, you're producing shows. It's not just no, games that are sports played. entertainment. These are shows that the NFL yeah. is putting on. And they have all type of statistics and analytics oh, yeah. that go into if this team record is this team record and they're playing in week 17, the viewership would be down. But if you got this team playing this team with both of their records at whatever, the, the ratings are going to be up. And it's all about money when it comes to the NFL. And any business, when you got billionaires, they care about money. That's what they care about. They care about putting a good product out there. Not really the fans and the players, you know, 
happiness. You're an afterthought. But you do contribute to whether or not the rating's good. Bit. That's why on next week's show, we're going to go back and look at all of Jonathan's missed tackles and why the ratings dipped oh, in games that he no. performed. How about that? Hopefully we'll it's it quick. Hopefully it's a quick yes, video. Yes, hopefully it will be a very short <laughs> montage. Pearson actually is already working on it, from what I've been told. With that being said, that's going to wrap up Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Today's episode, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll be back up and running again on Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, the schedule will officially be put out by then, so we will be able to break it down and then some. But stay locked to Giants.com later today for all the latest. For Jonathan Casillas, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your day right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.